0: Welcome to House of Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message from this past Sunday. For more information about other messages or events at House of Hope, visit www.ihope.today. It was an awesome surprise and when Dee asked if I wanted to drum today. And then I was like, I don't I was, I said yes, and then after I said yes, I was like, oh, I'm going to be sore after that. I haven't drummed for so long. and Well, now, since the last time I drum, I was drumming was at the burn. That was exhausting. Holy smokes, I haven't drummed that hard. And, yeah, my arm right here. Right now, I'm feeling it in my thumb a little bit from just playing like that. I'm like, oh, Lord, heal me now on that. This is brutal. But it just goes to show that maybe I need to, you know, maybe I need a drum set for Christmas and get back to it or something. I don't know. So we'll... Wow, you know it was funny. I used to, use, I used to, when I when I would drum a lot, I was really skinny, like really. And now I'm starting to get a little bit of a a middle. You know what? You know what though? And then Ash, yes, uh, when we were in Edmonton, she was rubbing my head and she's like, "Dan, there's a bald spot up there." I'm like, "Take me now, Lord, take me now." But I will say I have beat Dad. Hey, you were what, like, just, um, you just turned 30 and you were starting to really go, I'm 31, so I beat you by one year. So how was everybody's week to get to to today? Good? Awesome? Mm, so-so? It was all right. I had, uh, I, I had quite the entertaining week. We, uh, last weekend, we weren't here. We were in Edmonton visiting my mother-in-law. And, you know, yeah, I, I always say, I never. people are like, oh, you saw your outlaws? I'm like, no, nope, I never call my mother-in-law an outlaw because outlaws are wanted. I just let that, let that sit and soak for a little bit. I always say to her, I'm like, mom, you're the reason why comp- I, you make company for me happy twice. She's like, why? I'm like, You're, I'm happy when you show up and I'm happy when you leave. <laughs> I honestly, I have a fantastic mother-in-law. I'm very blessed. I'm very lucky to have Wendy in my life. She's an amazing woman. She's grown. Pfft. I can't even say leaps and bounds because that's not just, that doesn't give it justice. So I'm, I'm very honored to have her as a mother-in-law. But when we were up there, we did the whole Ikea shop and it was great when I posted that online, we could tell we don't have an, I- well, we have an Ikea close, but when somebody goes, it's like, hey, can you t- 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 get this? It's like, wow. So we picked up a few things for some people and we survived. Ash and I are still married because of it. Thank you, thank you, Lord. You know, uh, but hey, but as we were driving home, I started getting this pain in my side. just, I'm sharing this story. It's going to be good. And I was like, oh, okay, crazy. I wonder what's going on. This is brutal. And then I got out got out of the truck, and I thought maybe it was from driving for so long, because I haven't done any form of that long period of time for driving for about two years now. So I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe that's what it is, whatever. So I put my electric shocker on, and it's only for your back, but I'm like, slap it on there anyways. Everything's just jiggling. I'm like, right on. This is cool. Crank it up, and the kids are jumping on me. I'm like, oh, stop, stop, stop. So I'm like, well, let's see how the day goes, tomorrow goes. So we waited the next day. I'm working. I'm like, oh, oh, what is wrong with me? It's like, well, I'll just keep waiting until it gets, maybe hopefully it gets better. And Ash was asking me, do you want any Tylenol or anything? I'm like, no, I don't want to mask the pain. I want to make sure if it's going to be something bad, I don't want to mask it. Next day, the pain's still there. I'm like... Oh my goodness! I I think I got to go to the hospital, and it didn't help too. I was crawling on my stomach in a crawl space all morning, and I had to to get under this house. I had to go through the, their window, and it was just brutal. So the pain was really going. So the next day, I go to ER right after work, and it was a total god thing. It was great. Somebody left a ticket in the parking thing, and it said from it was the parking was valid from three till three the next day. I'm like. Praise the Lord, free parking. Like, let's take that. Threw that in my window. I'm like, if I get a ticket, that's okay. I'm in a lot of pain. So the doctor, he's doing his little examination. I got in pretty quick. I got in at like 6 o'clock and I was there at 4.30. So that was another God thing. Um, Yeah, if you live in Cranbrook, you know it's not like we go at warp speed to get people in and out. But um, doctor, he's pushing and everything like that. And he's like, oh, this is a sign for early appendicitis. And my heart stopped, and I was like, great, you're going to have to cut me open, oh, how are we going to, so on and so forth, all this, this thing was just going through my mind, I text Jeff, I was like, hey man, I don't think we're going to be doing youth on Thursday, you know, I'm a little going to be a little tied up, you know, and I'll let you know how Sunday, I don't know if I'm going to be able to speak, yada, 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 he said, oh, okay, said, whatever, <laughs> so I told him, man, it's probably going to have to get my appendix out, he's like, what, Okay, well, can Ash be there? Ash can't be there because she's, you know, doing the mom thing, hanging out with the boys and asked dad if he would go and look after the kids while they were in bed. And, he, and then um, I'll tell you a little bit of that later. So then the doctors run a bunch of tests. They do blood. They do x-rays. And all of a sudden, they both come in the door, and they close the door behind them. I just sat there. Oh my goodness, it's not an appendix, it's something worse. What's going on? It's like when two doctors come in and close the door behind for real privacy, you can't tell me it's going to be good. And so the one, she says, no, this doctor's just training. I was like, okay, good. So I'm going to give you another examination. I'm like, okay, sweet. So she's going along and everything, like feeling around. She's like, well, your blood work came normal. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Your x-ray, though, shows that you have... A cluster of um, you got a poop ball in there. I was like, "What?" She's like, "This is what you have to do. You got to drink more water and everything like that. To, you know, help get it going and everything, and you know, up your fiber and whatnot." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, good." Then I stopped, looked at her, and I said, "You know, doctor." I honestly wish you would say it was. An, you had to take my appendix out because for years, Ashley has been on me. you got to increase your water, increase your water, increase your water, increase your water. You're going to die if you don't. Something's going to happen. So I said to her, please, can you just tell me you have to take my appendix out so I don't have to tell my wife that she was right? You didn't really say that to the doctor, did you? I'm like, you bet I did. You bet I did. So... I hope this message, you don't think I'm totally full of it, but it is a good message. (laughs) And when I text dad back and say, hey, you don't have to look after the kids. He's like, why was I going out to your house to look after the kids? I'm like, you agreed to do this. He scrolls up his text. He's like, oh, sorry. They guess they would have been home by themselves. I'm like, well. So... (laughs) This is my message this morning. It's really, I like I said, I hope it's going to be good. I'm not lying when I say this, this message. So um, I want to start off by giving you a, a little, I don't know, phrase, quote, something that I've had for years. Um, I had to write it in an email because my word was down, so I had to email myself my own message, and the print's not the very biggest. So anyways, quote is like this, "'God doesn't call the qualified.'" but qualifies the called. What do you think? For years, I've I've battled with this, and I'm kind of springing it on you like right now, so I know it's not really the fairest thing, and I hate when preachers do that. They're like, what do you think? Well, I just heard it five seconds ago, so I don't know. But what do you think of that? God doesn't call the qualified, but qualifies the called. It's good. It's good. There's three people that I thought about when I think about this. First person I thought about was Moses. And you might want to, you're probably going to stone and flog me after when I say this, but the other one was Jesus, and I'll tell you why. And the last one was Paul. Well, I was thinking of these three guys. So first off, Moses. We all know who Moses was. God called him, burning bush guy, went back, freed the people, parted the the seas, walked on, so forth. In school, we were told that Moses was one of these great, phenomenal leaders. He was just, he's the leader of leaders, just a mighty man. And, you know, I always struggled with that. Because when you look at Moses' life, the guy had a temper on him. God would tell him to do something, and then Moses would be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to hit the rock 500 times. How do you like me now, God? went up, got the Ten Commandments, came back down, what the, and broke, it's like, are you kidding me? Like, the guy had some, ri- he was not allowed to go to the promised land. So how is Moses a fantastic leader? How, where do we get off saying, Moses is the great leader of leaders? The guy's not even allowed in the promised land. Well, to tell you what Moses was, he never backed down from a fight. It wasn't an actual fist fight, but it was like a blinking contest fist fight. He was willing to go back to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. How many of us would be like, yeah, I'll go and say, let my people go. God talked to him through a burning bush. Now, these burning bushes, coincidence, so what's interesting about them, they were it was pretty common, then. a bush would just go up in flames because of the heat and everything like that. I was like, yeah, right. But no, it was a legit, they'd walk around and whatever. But was, Moses knew there was something different. The big clue was it was talking to him. That was the difference. <laughs> this, what? And it didn't burn up. So right there, he's like, there's something different about this bush. Yeah. So when you think about it, it's kind of a weird scenario Moses gets his orders from a burning bush and then rescues a nation. And it was funny, as we keep looking into Moses' life, when the children were at war, what did Moses do? He held his hands up. He didn't back down from it. And his arms were getting tired, he said, you know what, I'm going to hold my hands up. Another one was when a plague hit the, land, hit the nation of Israel, God said, Take your staff, put a snake on it, and hold it up, and whoever looks to it will be healed. Moses is like, oh, okay. Look at the snake, y'all. Look at it. Look at it. It's kind of interesting. If you look at the, the medical sign now, what is it? It's a pole and snakes going up it. What? There's God in our medical system like that. Moses wasn't afraid to do the things that were off the wall. However, he did a lot of the time forget about people because he was so headstrong in what it was he was doing. But Moses did have a heart for the people. He did intercede on behalf of the children. He went to be forth God and said, God, don't let your anger burn against them." He stood in the gap, because he wasn't afraid of that. However, his temper sometimes got the best of him. That's what helped him not get into the promised land. So it's, I asked myself, and I said, God, why is it that, how was he called? How did God... Call him. In your Bibles in Exodus 4, verse 10, this is what qualifies Moses. The scrapper of a man. Never backed down from anything. He didn't care what people thought of him. And he just went ahead and did things. Exodus 4.10. I'm reading it out of the ESV, because it was the one I found it the easiest to read. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it an I, the Lord? Now therefore, go And I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God knew Moses' past. He knew Moses better than Moses knew Moses. But God said, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to teach you what it is to say. It wasn't Moses' power that turned his staff into a snake. It wasn't Moses' power that turned the river into blood. It wasn't Moses none of it was Moses' power. Whose power was it? Three people got it, right on. I've always said, if one or two people get it, I'm happy. You know, my message is complete. But it was God. God said, I will be with you. And then he even gave him a little bit of worldly encouragement and said, fine, I'll send somebody else too. But Aaron did nothing. It was Moses doing all the talking. It was funny. He, God even said, I'll send Aaron with you. So Aaron shows up on the scene and Moses was kind of like, I got this, Aaron, don't worry. I got this. And Aaron was probably sitting there. Why am I here? Moral support. Okay, cool. But God knew Moses. He knew what Moses was capable of doing. He knew Moses' aggressiveness to not give up and to not back down. Yes, did Moses have flaws? Absolutely. But Moses never gave up. And one of the, my, the other guy I really enjoy is Paul. Who knows anything about Paul? Who knows much about Paul? Ash that does, and, P, and Richard don't count. And Melody. We, know, we do know his, before he was Paul, he was Saul, right? Okay, so we know that, right on. He was born a Roman citizen, right? He was born into a very devout Jewish family. So that's interesting. He's got two things right there, and we're going to touch on that. He was also born in the city of Taurus, where it was renowned for its university. Paul was a very, very, very intelligent person. He had two things really working for him. He was born a Roman, and also he was, born, he was in a Jewish family, so he grew up in the Jewish faith. And the reason why those are very important for us to understand is we're Canadians, We have a Canadian passport. Really, just humor me, is there anywhere in the world that when you show a Canadian passport, you are not allowed to enter? Not not that we know of. We can show our passport, and they say, yeah, you can come in, you can come in, you can come in. Same thing, when he was a Roman citizen, because of the way the Roman Empire was, and so powerful and great, Paul would show his medallion, his passport, and he would say, boom, I'm a Roman citizen. Paul used that to get out of a lot of trouble sometime, too, when they wanted to stone him. He's like, I'm a Roman citizen, I deserve a fair trial. And they're like, okay, all right, let's take him back to Rome, and he gets a fair trial as any other Roman citizen. He had the right to preach in synagogues. Why? Because he was of Jewish descent. So you see how the gospel was able to move through Paul. He could travel through all of the Roman Empire and speak in the synagogues because he had Um, He was born into a Jewish family, Jewish tradition. And also he went through the Jewish customs because he was a Pharisee as well. To become a Pharisee, we had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. You had to recite them word for word. You had to stand there and give it your all. Paul was able to do that. That's what qualified him as a Pharisee. Because he knew the law. Paul wasn't a slouch. He knew. He knew his scripture. He knew God. He had the religion. He had it. He knew it inside and out. He had the medallion. He was able to speak where he wanted to. He knew what the Jews were doing was wrong because he's of Jewish descent. And so that's where he went with. But Paul had a, had a, had a small problem. He was too religious because he said to the Jews, you don't know God like I know God. You're following after this Jesus guy? Ludicrous. So on his way to Damascus, he had word that he could go and persecute and continue on what he was doing by arresting Jews, killing them, anyone that followed after Jesus. This is Paul. This is Paul, the apostle Paul. But Acts 9 tells us about that. Let's just turn let's turn there. Acts 9. So we're going to do a little bit of Bible sword today. So Acts 9, we're going to go in verse 10. This is just after. Paul was knocked down off his, off his high horse, as it were. <laughs> he was blind. The men brought him to... Yeah, you liked it. I know you like that joke. I wrote that in at the end. She reads my messages to make sure it flows, and she's like, that's a horrible joke. Take it out. Um, so they bring Paul over. He's blind. He can't see anything, and he's waiting for something. He doesn't know what. He's waiting. So Acts 9, verse 10 Living in Damascus was a believer named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling his name Ananias. Yes, Lord, Ananias answered. The Lord said, go at once to the street called Abundance and look for a man from Taurus named Saul. You will find him at Judah's house. While he was praying, he saw in a a supernatural vision a man named Ananias coming to lay hands upon him to restore his sight. I like what Ananias says here. But Lord, Ananias replies Many have told me about this terrible persecution of those in Jerusalem who are devoted to you. In fact, the high priest has authorized him to seize and imprison all those in Damascus who call on your name. So Ananias doesn't want to go. Why would I want to go right to the bad guy like that? The guy's going to be like, hey, you're a Jew. You follow Jesus, you're out. Then the Lord Yahweh answered him, Arise and go. I have chosen this man to be my special messenger. He will be brought before kings, before many nations, and before the Jewish people to give them the revelation of who I am. And I will show him how much he is destined to suffer because of his passion for me. Boom! Mic drop from the Lord. That was Paul's qualification had nothing from what he learned at the university, nothing that he learned to become a Pharisee, nothing like that at all. It was because God knew Paul's heart. He knew Paul was passionate for the gospel. That's why he continued on with his craft and becoming a Pharisee, because he had a passion for God. They were the police of the, of the, um, of the text. They kept it. Sacred. They kept it close to them because that's what God called them to do. And they were devout followers. Anything new and radical, nope, that doesn't line up with what we have here. But Jesus is the New Testament. He was writing it as we were going along here. And And God saw that in Paul's heart, that he's going to do everything he can. Well, look, after, who wrote 13 books in the New Testament? Paul. A lot of them, he was in jail or in prison. But it's because he had a passion. He wasn't willing to compromise it or to give up what it is that he believed and what he saw and what he knew to be true and right. He even, I love Paul. He's a great guy. Oh, we should all kind of be like Paul. Maybe not bring whips to church, but like we should be like Paul. He even verbally backsmacked Peter. Like... This is is Peter who God is building the church on and Paul has the audacity to say to him, hey man, stop being heretical. Stop, Stop doing one thing and then do the other thing. You're confusing everybody. Stop saying this is unclean and that and this and this and this and this and that. Paul says, smarten up. Many of times he did this. Paul wasn't afraid. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care what people said about him. Because he knew, he knew where everything lied. He knew where his passion and his hope and his faith lied. Oh man, we could talk days about Paul. Oh, he's being shipwrecked? Could you imagine? It's because you're on that thing and God doesn't want you to go somewhere. So God's like, I'm sinking this boat. (laughs) It's like, whoa, what? And then Paul ends up on an island and he's just, sitting there and gets rescued, and then he writes about, yeah, I was shipwrecked, I was stoned, I had people throw rocks at me, and then I was still alive. Could you imagine just seeing that? It's like, man, we threw rocks, like heavy rocks at this guy, and he's still alive. What's going on? Until the end of his ministry, where he was beheaded, and you know what? As he was on his way to be executed, he was excited. He was skipping. He was, he was so excited because he said, finally, I get to meet Jesus. I get to be in the presence of God. I get to I've ran the race that Paul talked about. Well done, good and faithful servant. Woo! Paul. Oh, just a hero of heroes, I tell you that. Now finally, Jesus. I like it. Everyone's like, "What are you going to say about Jesus?" Now I know Jesus, he is the great example is, like he's perfect and everything like that. But there's one area I want us to look at. So Moses, we looked at his anger, his temper. He wasn't quite from what we see this great leader, but he had a heart. He never gave up. He dug deep into God. Paul, he had all the religion, all the know-how, everything that worldly standards would qualify him to be a leader. Hands down. Here we go. But God saw saw something different and better in Paul. Jesus. Remember that time, Matthew 13, if we turn there? Jesus went back to his hometown. What happened when he went back to his hometown? Verse 55. What's that? Yep, they blew him off. And how come? Sorry? He, he was a carpenter's son. So in hearing what Paul went through to become a Pharisee, and Jesus grew in the Jewish culture, just like everybody else, he would have gone through the same thing. But he took up his father's trade. Generally, when you take up your father's trade, that means you didn't really succeed at becoming a Pharisee. So then you take up your father's trade. No shame in that. He was a carpenter. Brian's a carpenter. We still love and respect him. <laughs> but you could change the nations. Jesus did. Like, come on. Oh no! Sorry, I was I was really hoping that that would be like that. So, so Matthew thirteen fifty three. Right after Jesus taught this series of parables, he left from there. When Jesus arrived in his hometown of Nazareth, he began teaching people in the synagogue, which is cool because he's he's of Jewish descent. He's a Jew. He can preach in the synagogue, as we know. Everyone was, was dazed, overwhelmed with astonishment over the depth of revelation they were hearing. So Jesus was crushing it. He's like, hey, this is what God's saying. This is what's going on. This is what's happening. And this is what also I'm getting from God. And they're like, this is unreal. Like, this is fresh. This is, this is unbelievable. They said, to wonder, they said to one another, where did this man get such great wisdom and miraculous power? Great question. So they didn't really recognize who Jesus was. Until somebody pipes up, probably someone in the back row. Isn't he just the woodworker's son? Oh, come on, man. Why, why do you got to be like that? Isn't his mother named Mary and his four brothers, Jacob, Joseph, Simon, and Judah? And don't his sisters all live here in Nazareth? How did he, how did he get all this revelation and power? So now they're wondering, how did, wait, yeah, how did he get this? Because we saw him grow up here. Hang on, I remember Jesus. I babysat him when his parents went off to a Bible study. It's a little weird because they'd be studying him, but hey, whatever. And and the people became offended and began to turn against him. Jesus said, there's only one place a prophet isn't honored, his home, his hometown. And their great unbelief kept him from doing any mighty miracles in Nazareth. I wanted to finish that off where it says, a prophet isn't welcomed in his own hometown. But because of their unbelief... Jesus wasn't able, and their great unbelief kept him from doing any mighty miracles in Nazareth. Jesus could have performed miracles, but it was because of the unbelief of the people. They said, no, we we won't accept it. I was born and raised in Cranbrook, right? Don't laugh. Yeah, you pray for me. That's fine. I moved back to Cranbrook, and I'm wanting to do ministry in Cranbrook. I know I've changed. A lot of you have know I've changed. So when I read this, the question is, why are we holding people back when we, when we need to be seeing what God's doing in them? Jesus has the power. He has the knowledge. But they were looking at Jesus through the worldly eyes and not through his spiritual eyes. They looked at his occupation. Oh, he's just a carpenter. He's not some great teacher. He's not a rabbi. He doesn't officially have the degree that says whatever on it. He's just, he's just, or she's just. But you know what? We have the qualifications. We are qualified. doesn't matter where we go in this world. So again, God doesn't call the qualified, but qualifies the called. Jesus was qualified. Because at his baptism, when he came up, the Holy Spirit ascended like a dove. And the Father spoke and said, this is my son, who I am okayed with. No, what did he say? Well pleased. It doesn't matter what version of Bible you look at. Well is in there. Well-pleased. Hmm. Just because the world thinks that we're unable to do what it is God has called us to do, we need to think about that again. Why are we allowing the world to tell us, you're not qualified, you're not able to do this? 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29. I'm just going to read it. If you want to go there, right on. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. And he's talking to us here at House of Hope. Not many of you influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. I wasn't born into royalty. I was born to a minor and a stay-at-home mom. The only, the only noble thing I was called was a Kamenko brat. But We lived reasonably. That doesn't define who I am. I am a son of the living God. He has given me the power to reach the nations, to preach it, and to heal, and to raise people from the dead. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. We are able to do the work that God has given to us. We can because he says we can do it. What what we have done does not define who we are. What you've done in the past does not define who you are today. The past is the past. Let the old man, let the old woman die. Lay it to rest. That is not who you are. That is not who we are. So I want to ask that. Being a child... Of the Lord Most High. Again, we've heard this whole time we are not orphans. We've been bought with a price. We've been sealed into His family. Ephesians 2 talks about that. That He has placed His seal on us and saying, This is my child. Do we believe it? Or do we want to continue as we've heard? And every time we hear a message over and over again, maybe there's something that we're still believing that's giving us that orphan mentality. We are qualified because God says it in His Word. I just read it. We are qualified. Just because the world thinks that you can't do this or you can't do that or you can't do this, it's because the world is afraid. Because we're not afraid to change and to give and say yes to God. Many of you, I've told my testimony to, I I only have my second year of Bible college. I don't have a PA, I don't have my uh, bachelor's, I don't have my master's. I don't have anything like that. Ashley has more, she's got her uh, bachelor's. She's got a bad attitude, you betcha she does. She's got a B.A., No, she's not. <laughs> but the thing is, what's been really encouraging about hearing what she says to me sometimes, she says, you know, Dan, there's been times that you've said stuff, and it's been more, I'm going to say more often than not, that, she's, that I've challenged her and what it is that she's said, that, on what I've said out of Scripture. She says, your insight and in what it is that God has, is showing you is Unreal. So it doesn't matter the paperwork you have behind him, whether you have a PhD, a a BA, an MA, or whatever, whatever thing, a God can use and qualify you because you are qualified. You're here in this place that makes you qualified. He doesn't wait, says, well, when you get enough schooling, when you get that. Degree when you get that diploma, when you get X, Y, or Z, then I can use you. The harvest is ready. The workers are few. That's in the Bible. I know that is. But the harvest is ready. Are we ready to be harvesters or are we ready to just sit on the sideline because we're afraid of that orphan spirit? Amy, I loved what you shared. That was powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Are we like like Amy was saying, are we not going to just say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for the way God made me? No, because now we can take the joy that God has given us and we can pour it out to everybody else because that's what it's about. Being poured into from God and pouring out. It's a constant cycle. It's not about capping off the end and just saying, hey, Lord, pour into me because as my mom would say, we become a fat Christian. Let it go. Pour out, pour out, pour out. You'll be poured into. So, it's 5 to 12. Yes, I did it! I'm growing up! (laughs) We are qualified. We are qualified. Why? Because our dad says we are. And he lets us take part in the family business, and that's reaching and helping people find and follow after God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Everything we do, our job, wherever we at, we're there for a reason. We're qualified for that because God says we are. So you're not just a plumber. you're not just pool hall operators. you're not just a pastor, you're not just a grandmother, you're not just a mom. you're not just. You are a child of God, reaching people. So, my ministry team's really excited today, I hear. And I'm excited too, because ministry should be off the hook. So as they're coming up, I just want to pray for you guys quick. And then they're going to, they want to pray for you. I know they do. And so if we can stand. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this place, for this fam jam in front of me, God. I just thank you that we get to take part in the family business, God, and that's reaching out to people, God. God, help us to understand that we are your children. God, that we are, are able to access everything in heaven because, God, you say that we are your beloved children. And I thank you for that. God, help us to remember that we are qualified to do the work that you've called us to do. God, as we leave this place, we pray for no wet blankets to fall on the fire. God, just keep it burning bright. Keep it burning strong. And we don't want any case of the Mondays, God. We just declare right now that Monday will be the same as today. We'll be exciting. We'll be fresh. We'll be chomping at the bit to get to where it is that we're going because we want people to notice, hey, there's a change in that guy. There's a change in that gal. What's going on? I want to talk to them. We just declare that right now. No case on the Mondays and Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays. Keep it going, God. Keep the fire going. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to our Sermon of the Week. Our desire is that you will be changed by the love of the Father and the power of His presence. For more information about House of Hope, visit us at www.ihope.today.